0: head to airbnb.com slash host.
1: Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth
0: for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like, it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing, that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming. We turn to ourselves and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow, and this is the Goop Podcast, where we bring together thought leaders, scientists, healers, creatives, and seekers. I'm so grateful to be able to interview these bright minds and share their incredible wisdom with you. And I especially love listening to the conversations that are led by my brilliant co-host and friend, Erica Chitty. Erica is the CEO and co-founder of Loom, and she's been a part of the Goop family since the beginning days. We believe that simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. I'll let Erica fill you in on her guest today. Today's
1: guest is Shilpa Ravella. She's a transplant gastroenterologist and the author of A Silent Fire, The Story of Inflammation, Diet, and Disease. In her book, she explores the roots of chronic inflammation, traversing through history and examination of its role in today's diseases. As a gastroenterologist, Shilpa is interested in the connection between our gut, diet, and immunity. We talk about how the modern diet and our current environment, including stress and trauma, could be impacting us. And we talk about how the dietary and lifestyle practices that could help address not only human health, but also planetary health. Okay, let's get to my chat with Shilpa Ravella. I really love your book. Oh, I think, thank you. I think it's super important because... I feel like my first person experience with all of my gastrointestinal issues is like, I can see that my diet a hundred percent impacts my gut, but so does my stress levels and kind of my ability to be like a full kind of human in the world. And I think that's really a great segue into our, into our conversation, you know, the fact that you're a transplant gastroenterologist. And I think that is already so futuristic in so many ways. How did you become interested in the connection between gut diet and immunity and eventually moving into this transplant work?
2: I actually was very motivated by a personal story, actually, you know, someone very close to me experienced a devastating illness, a rare autoimmune disease that I described in, in the book, you know, this person went to the gym, completely healthy gentleman in, in his thirties and had a workout at the gym, came back and he started having some neck pain and, and eventually inflammation had destroyed uh, muscle groups around his entire body and left him in a brace actually for quite some time. So it was really then that inflammation began to start taking shape as an entity for me, not just as a consequence of of disease, because we're so used to describing inflammation in so many different terms as a consequence of disease, but also as a potential cause, which is what the latest research shows. And not just the obvious inflammation and inflammatory conditions that we're used to diagnosing in medical practices like rheumatoid arthritis or lupus, but this type of Low level hidden inflammation, which really seemed to be gaining traction in the medical literature. And so I started diving more into the research, and I was also motivated by stories of my patients on my own, and in general, those who suffer from diseases linked to hidden inflammation, including top killers like heart disease and cancer. And then across the spectrum of chronic diseases, you see that so many of these patients are just enduring with no magic pills and quick fixes. And in some cases, patients often feel like they're not heard. They may have no obvious external disability or disease manifestation with a lot of the functional GI disorders, for example, in which you may have low-level intestinal inflammation with things like irritable bowel syndrome and such. And for these patients, their suffering is deep and it's hidden. And in order to address these conditions, we need an individualistic approach to each patient and disease process, but also just a broader understanding of how modern chronic diseases are linked to inflammation microbes, diet, and lifestyle. Those were some of my motivations.
1: What defines chronic low-level hidden inflammation? What is that exactly?
2: So the way in which I define it in the book is that hidden inflammation is the type of inflammation that we are not used to testing for or treating routinely in clinical practice today. I mean, we are very used to, you know, in my own GI practice, I diagnose inflammatory bowel disease. For example, I can go down with my endoscope and test for inflammatory bowel disease, but hidden inflammation is a type of low level inflammation. It may be within our bodies as we're walking around and we just don't know it's there. And it's not something that we're used to going to the doctor and asking for a test for.
1: And is it something that you would notice in your own body? or how would it manifest how do you know you have this issue what are the signs
2: so one of the horrible things is that you could you could actually have hidden inflammation running in your body for years or decades not know it but then perhaps years or decades later it manifests you know as a heart attack we're finding that this type of low level inflammation it may cause no symptoms or it may it may you know cause certain types of disease processes we're finding that it's tied to not just heart disease and cancer, which are two of our top killers, but also other diseases like obesity, diabetes, neurodegenerative diseases, and the aging process itself. So you may have no symptoms, or you may have uh, routine symptoms from this, but we at present do not typically look for these signs and symptoms. We do not typically do blood tests in clinics saying, you know, hey, let's test you for hidden inflammation as a marker for risk down the line.
1: So for anyone who's hearing that and is feeling like, okay, I can't test for it. I can't know if I have it. How do they bind their anxiety around that? And what would be some, some initial next steps around that? And maybe also, could you explain why there is so much mystery around this chronic low level, hidden inflammation and things like heart disease?
2: Yeah, I think part of the confusion is that we've been talking about inflammation for so long in so many different contexts. We talk about it in traditional Western medicine and alternative medicine circles. You know, it's just been so popular in our culture, but really it it took a very long time for us to actually be able to say, you know, this type of hidden low-level inflammation is actually a cause of disease. It's a silent killer and the literature is probably the strongest in in cardiology where we have large scale cl- clinical trials telling us that this type of hidden inflammation is a risk marker for disease just as cholesterol is a risk marker and these these things can cause inflammation if you have inflammation running in your blood low level inflammation that you don't feel you know that that increases your risk of having a heart attack down the line but it's you know just something that has not made its way to routine clinical practice just yet. So we're not routinely accustomed to testing for it in clinics. So if I go into my doctor's office, primary care, the doctor is not going to say, Hey, let's test you for hidden inflammation, but we do have tests that can catch this. They're just not very specific, but one of the things you can do is to make sure that you are living in such a way that your lifestyle practices are aligning with an anti-inflammatory lifestyle in order to prevent hidden chronic inflammation let's take a quick
0: break to talk about one of our partners this year we launched a new goop travel series called the goop list i wanted a way to share annually what i found to be the best of the best from my favorite places to stay in italy to a truly special spa in costa rica If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop List, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know, the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income to learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to Airbnb.com slash host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation.
1: So in terms of the gut and autoimmune diseases, and just immunity in general. There's a lot of conflicting information when it comes to an anti inflammatory diet. Does our food influence inflammation? What's true and not true about an anti inflammatory diet?
2: So, one of the things that I think is very confusing is that there are so many different iterations of an anti inflammatory diet. You know, there are probably 10 different books on 10 different anti inflammatory diets. I think every, every patient is an individual and diet must be individually tailored. But what one of the things that I talk about in silent fire is, is how what we eat has really has to be grounded in history and context and evolution. And the anti-inflammatory diet is, is a diet that really takes into consideration all of those factors. And it's, you know, it's actually not as restrictive and, you know, is more focused on dietary patterns that can actually help to decrease inflammation and not just suppress inflammation, but to reverse it as well and to ward off all of these chronic diseases tied to inflammation.
1: And so when you talk about
2: culture and
1: potentially maybe also what you're saying might be ancestry, is it important to have an understanding of how the people before us ate in order to support, our own bodies?
2: Absolutely. We want to look at this type of diet in an evolutionary context. We evolved bodies that are prone to developing robust immune responses, robust inflammatory responses, bodies that are prone to becoming insulin resistant and developing blood clots. You know, we we had to fight hunger and malnutrition. We had to fight traumas, predators, infections in ancestral times. And so our bodies evolved to eat in a certain way as well. And when you look at most Paleolithic diets, actually, there is a pattern that emerges. The majority of Paleolithic diets are actually very, very high in whole plant foods. And the majority of anthropologists would agree with that as well. So we definitely have to take into context, you know, how did we evolve to eat? And we, we also have to look at our current environment as well, because we as humans, you know, we are changing. We, we are faced with some incredible ecologic disasters most pressing disasters of our time. For example, climate change, global pandemics. So how do we adapt to our current environment? How do we eat and live in ways that can avert these disasters and not just climate change and pandemics, but there are positive things in our environment as well, like modern medical miracles, like multiple organ transplants, for example. So how do we eat in ways that can help to balance the immune system so that we take advantage of modern medicine? And we avoid these ecological disasters that are in our future. So how do we adapt to this global environment that we are currently in?
1: Can you share more about this idea of the Paleolithic diet? What does that look like? What is it comprised of?
2: So in general, our Paleolithic ancestors ate, you know, just about 100 grams of fiber a day. So tons and tons of plant foods and the rare insect for example, so we filled our plates with plants. Essentially, we were gatherers more than hunters. And if we did eat meat, we ate it in small portions. We prepared it very differently than we than we do now. And the meat we ate was also very different. For example, if you if you take a look at Paleolithic meat eaters, they they had meat that was very lean. It was usually grass fed, high in omega threes and low in saturated fats. So the meat we ate was very different, and it was eaten in an entirely different context as well. Our Paleolithic ancestors were very active and that's another thing that is very different from modern times. So, you know, they were eating small, small quantities of meat in a very active lifestyle and preparing it very differently. Modern meat, on the other hand, is eaten in large quantities, often folks are not active and the composition of modern meat is very, very different as well. But at large, our Paleo folks ate, ate plants.
1: let's talk about the modern diet it's deficient especially as i'm hearing you talk about how our ancestors ate why is it so deficient and how can we how can we overcome that delta that that issue
2: our food has changed in so many ways you know we we saw a huge rise in in processed foods for example probably around late 1980s especially when i was growing up In Indiana, in a a small Indiana town, and we started to see supermarket shelves be filled with a lot of these processed foods. You know, with just tons of ingredients in them that we had never before encountered. And they were, they were, you know, just quick fixes, super easy to purchase and to eat. They were tasty. We saw a rise in fast food. A lot of those foods are just incredibly inflammatory in so many different ways. And the Western diet really took off—not just you know in the West, but in, you know it's it's still taking off in so many different parts of the globe. And we know that the Western diet is is just exquisitely inflammatory, you know, and it, it's it's terrible for our gut germs. It's a type of diet that is just bereft of fiber, which is one of the most important nutrients for our gut germs. And and this type of diet really took off all over the world, and it's it's, it's basically starving us of our most important nutrients.
1: So thinking of what you shared around our ancestors and us living very differently, is there evidence for or against a connection between stress and chronic inflammation?
2: I would absolutely say that stress does play a part in chronic inflammation. I think even sort of simple stresses like public speaking, for example, we have studies that show that you have an increase in inflammatory blood markers with things like public speaking, but absolutely stress in general is, is, is tied to chronic inflammation and to chronic inflammatory disorders. And a lot of these chronic inflammatory disorders we are now seeing are defined as our, our top killers like heart disease, cancer, etc. but all different kinds of stressors, you know, loneliness is an intense stressor, for example, childhood stressors, or kids, unfortunately, who are abused or have a lot of childhood stress, you know, that's another condition that can cause chronic inflammation. And in these kids, you know, they grow up with this and they grow into this and this persists into their adulthood and, and creates a higher risk of inflammatory diseases.
1: How can we combat this silent fire You know, I really love the title of the book, especially because I think there are so many kind of invisible diseases and discomforts that exist inside of our body, especially as we try to show up in the workplace or try to show up as partners or parents. What what are your recommendations here to just feel better or to be preventative in combating these
2: issues? So the root causes of hidden inflammation, you know, it's really diet and lifestyle and really focusing on addressing those root causes of hidden inflammation is incredibly important. And that can actually help address not only human health, but also planetary health, because the same type of diet and lifestyle that promotes human health can also help to avert climate change and pandemics. And, you know, one of the most important things obviously is to, is to eat a diet high in plant foods and with a array of plant foods, you know, so the quality and the quantity matters and it particularly matters for the germs inside of your gut. And we're learning so much more about this. And I go into the anti-inflammatory diet in quite a bit of detail in the book as well, but diet is incredibly important. And then, and then also just all of these lifestyle factors. I talk about a concept called the blue zones in the book and, and the history behind that and how these are areas where we see the longest lived individuals and and their ways of eating and living are, are truly a model for anti-inflammatory eating and living. And you know, they move each day. You know, they don't necessarily need to sign up for a fancy gym or anything like that. But as long as you're you're incorporating exercise into your lifestyle, e- even if it's through natural movements, if you're walking every day or doing some gardening, if you're stressing your body in some way every day, you know, that's incredibly important. And so you can actually you know it's not all or nothing but you can make these sort of small steps that turn into big steps one day so it's really incorporating all of these different lifestyle factors aside from exercise also you know stress management is 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 a huge huge factor and get, getting adequate sleep as well being in an area where you know you are not exposed to pollution and that's becoming a big problem now as well with wildfires and such that are going on all over the country and cooking practices and, and things like that so all of these different things can can play a part in hidden chronic inflammation. And we, we do need to change these lifestyle factors in order to avoid inflammation.
1: So you just touched on the idea of the blue zones. Can you speak a little bit more about that or share what that is? Because it's something I've also been reading a lot about. And can you give us a little bit insight into some of the nourishment recommendations that you have in your book?
2: So the concept of the Blue Zones, basically in 2004, there were a couple of demographers and physicians who published a paper on a cluster of villages that were in the mountains of Sardinia, Italy. And they had an incredible concentration of centenarians, more so than any other part of the island. And they used blue ink to mark the area on a map and they called it Blue Zone. And around that same time, there was a journalist, Dan Buettner, and he was working with the National Geographic and he wanted to identify areas around the world with high life expectancies. And he wanted to know why these individuals lived not only long, but well, and they they were just free of the physical and mental plagues of old age that most of us have. And we know that genes contribute, of course, but a lot of these studies are showing that most differences in the length and quality of human life, they owe to lifestyle. So Gettner enlisted a team of medical researchers and wanted to search for evidence-based environmental similarities between the regions. And so the team identified additional blue zones around the world, places with the highest average life expectancies. Many of these folks live on for about a century or more. So aside from Sardinia, they also featured the Greek island of the and the Aegean Sea, and Okinawa, Japan, an area in Costa Rica, Loma Linda, California, and Blue zone dwellers really have dietary and lifestyle practices that are conducive to combating hidden inflammation. Their diet is about 95 to 100% whole plant foods. They eat it both raw and cooked. They they cook their food very gently. You, know, you don't see a lot of deep frying and such. Usually they use a handful of ingredients. They ferment their food at times. I talk about Fermentation and its anti-inflammatory potential in the book. They eat tons of fresh vegetables and fruits. A lot of times, this is straight from the garden. And beans are are a huge factor in the Blue Zone diet. Beans are very cheap. They're versatile, and you could you could create them in endless ways and you know, tons of different dishes from beans. So some of these things, you know, are very common Blue Zone diet diets. You
1: know, it's interesting, specifically you mentioning Loma Linda. It seems that they are a blue zone due to it being one of the largest densities of Seventh-day Adventist folks because they focus on a semi-vegetarian diet and exercise and kind of being in community, which is interesting. It's similar to somewhere like Sardinia. It's a population that I think has similar ideals, not so much from a religious perspective, but more so from just the exercising community and, and eating.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of the lifestyle practices of blue zone dwellers, you know, their their diet is very similar, high in plant foods, and then also uh, social connections are very important, stress relief, and then also just exercising every single day and taking care of their own things and and really just you know having a purpose in life up until their last days. I think that's also been very important in blue zone areas, and and that's something that really. Uh, drives uh, folks and provides a sense of satisfaction.
1: Shilpa, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I'm really excited to spend more time with Silent Fire. And I think that there's so much that we can draw from it in terms of helping to soften our approach to how we're taking care of our bodies and how we're even thinking about our gut. And I really am thrilled that you've put this out into the world.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you today.
1: Thanks for tuning in to today's conversation with Shilpa Ravella. Her book, A Silent Fire, is out today. Thanks again for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the Goop Podcast.